Thank you for listening today. We hope that this message from God's Word will help you to grow in your knowledge of God and your relationship with Him. At Lucy Baptist Church, we are fully committed to loving God, loving people, and making disciples. Now here's today's message. From this passage this morning, I'm going to bring a message entitled, Jesus, Infinitely Greater Than the Angels. Let's join our hearts together in prayer. Father, we're so grateful for this wonderful privilege of worship. Thank you, thank you, thank you for making worship possible. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your death on our behalf, for being our sinless substitute, for shedding your precious blood, Lord Jesus, that we might be cleansed and that we might be declared righteous. And we thank you so much now that in you, Lord Jesus, we are able to approach the throne of grace. And we come, Lord, mindful of that this morning, that we are not worthy, but Jesus is. And we thank you for making it possible now for us to come before your throne of grace with boldness. And we come this morning, Father, as we already have been attempting to do this morning, to come with the sacrifices of our praise, our worship, and of our very lives. And Lord, these bodies of your children belong to you. And Lord, we we know, Lord Jesus, you often said he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And this morning, we pray that by the work of your spirit, who's our indwelling teacher, that you will take the word of God that Edwin has read to us this morning that we're going to look at together and that you will help us to understand it, Lord, to receive it. Lord, by the work of your spirit, that you will apply it to our lives, that you will show us uh, what you mean to say to us in this passage about the infinite greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, we thank you for showing us Christ this morning in the Word of God, and we pray that you'll continue to do that and that you'll be exalted. Father, you know the heart need of every person in this place. You know those today who are your children. Lord, those who, again, uh, may have uh, today uh, many distractions that are seeking to uh, gain their attention this morning, and I, but I pray that every person here will focus on Christ this morning in this passage. And Lord, I pray for those here who are your children that they would be drawn to treasure Christ more. Because again, Lord Jesus, as we see here, you are infinitely better, infinitely greater, infinitely superior to the angels and to anyone and everyone else. And Lord Jesus, we pray, uh, Lord, for those who don't know you, that you'd awaken their soul, you'd awaken their heart, Lord, that you would, as your word uh, reveals to us, you would remove the blinders from the eyes of those who do not know Christ, who do not uh, recognize even their need for Christ this morning. And Father, do for these individuals what we cannot do, awaken them to their need for Christ and draw them to our Savior. And Lord, we pray the outcome will be your glory uh, during our time together and absolute, complete obedience to the word of God. We love you, we exalt you, we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray and for his sake, amen. John Patton was a missionary, a Scottish missionary to the Hebrides Islands in the South Pacific. Um, One day he and his wife were surrounded uh, by a group of of, uh, headhunters that live there. uh, And they they immediately uh, begin to pray for God's protection. Uh, And... To their amazement, but praise, those headhunters quickly fled away. Later on, the chief of those headhunters heard the gospel, repented, and placed his faith and trust in Christ. 
And they were talking about that day, about what had happened on that day. And uh, this chief said, well, well, we were there and, and all around your, your hut that day, there were these, these soldiers in, in shining uh, garments with their, with their swords drawn. And so we fled for fear of them. To which, of course, the patent said, we saw no soldiers that day in shining armor. So they recognized that day and believed the only explanation was God's angels. You know, only eternity will reveal how angels have protected us, uh, especially when we were not even aware of that. Um, You know, however wonderful angels are, However, they pale into insignificance in comparison to what Christ Jesus, our Lord, has accomplished for us as his redeemed. Angels are very important, and we find them often uh, in Scripture, and they play an important role in the service of God as faithful servants of God. We know, of course, in our own day, however, there is this false teaching concerning Angels, they are often placed in prominence that in ways in which the, the scripture does not intend. Uh, and uh, they are treated almost like a good luck charm. I remember someone whom I knew and loved and respected who had even named uh, his guardian angel and would often talk about his guardian angel by name. And uh, see no precedent for that in scripture. Um, but you know, even in this day, there was also false teaching, most false teaching concerning angels. The Essenes, who were a group of Jews in this time, they, they believed that angels were, uh, were like mediators between God and men. And so they would often appeal to their angels, uh, to, to the angels to uh, mediate on their behalf, to God on, on their behalf. Uh, there was other false teaching. Colossians addresses some of those. Uh, and, and even the, the most serious, perhaps, of all was, uh, was the teaching that Jesus was little more than an emanation uh, from God, much like the angels, placing him almost on the level of, of uh, the angels. And so certainly those were false teachings that were prevalent during this time. And some believe that that is, uh, was in mind of the writer of Hebrews in writing this. However, a, a, a commentator of our day, George Guthrie, and his commentary on Hebrews says that the writer's real intention here in speaking of angels is to argue, argue rather from the lesser to the greater. He says that the writer is building toward Hebrews 2, 1 through 4, which is the passage we'll see next Lord's Day. And, uh, and, and, and again, the message that we see there in those verses is that since those who rejected the message declared by angels were punished severely, how much more will be the punishment of those who reject God's ultimate word, as we saw last Sunday, the word of the Lord Jesus Christ, his, his ultimate revelation. And uh, so certainly he is declaring there to us the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ, greater as we see, infinitely greater than the angels. The writer uh, demonstrates here that Christ, uh, again, is superior to angels, and he uses uh, seven Old Testament passages. 
And, uh, and by the way, our, our series from, this, uh, from the book of Hebrews that we began last Sunday in verses 1 through 3 is consider Jesus, he is infinitely greater. And as we're going to just briefly make, we're going to look at these uh, passages together this morning from this text, and it, it just reminds us again of what we just uh, saw in Luke 24 and again in our uh, messages from the, the uh, books of the, of the law uh, about how Christ is seen in all the scripture. And so that these verses, these passages will affirm that truth to us as well today. They demonstrate, of course, the authority of of Christ-centered word and focus in the Old Testament. So with with this in mind, would you look with me today from uh, verses 4 through 14 uh, at the five ways in which Jesus is shown to be infinitely greater, infinitely superior to the angels. First of all, note that Jesus is superior to the angels in his exalted identity. In his exalted identity. He begins there uh, in verse 4, just continuing the thought of verses 1 through 3. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. We, of course, know as we study scripture that a name is considered very important. Uh, We're, of course, as grandparents um, in that exciting time, now that we can know uh, what the gender of our grandchild will be, we know one of them is going to be a granddaughter, and she already has a name, and we're already calling her by that name, something that just uh, makes some of us who didn't have that opportunity as parents when our kids were being born kind of different, but we're enjoying it. And we hope today to find out the identity of our other grandbaby in the womb. And uh, we'll let you know as soon as, we, as soon as we're given permission to tell, all right? And, uh, but, you know, a name is very important. Uh, it's, it's important to us today, but it was especially important in this day and especially important as we consider the names of God. As you study all throughout the word of God, you see the significance of a name and it speaks of the, of the identity of that individual. It speaks of the character and even in relationship to God, to the Lord Jesus Christ, it speaks of his exaltation. And so when the word of God says he has inherited a more excellent name than that, It speaks, of course, of his identity. We sang today about the beautiful name of Jesus. We love that passage in in Philippians chapter 2 when it tells us that, that he has been given a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And certainly we know that is true concerning his exalted name. But in this passage, we believe the name that he is referring to, especially as we see that the quote that he's going to make in the next verse is from Psalm 2-7. That's the first Old Testament passage that the writer of Hebrews will cite to again affirm Jesus' exalted uh, name and his superior name. And again, so the name really is the is son. He was the, the reference is to son. Look again at verse uh, five, the first part. Uh, again, it's, it says here, for to which of the angels did God ever say, "You are my son today, I have begotten you." What is the answer, church? None. No one, no angel ever heard God say that. 
Now, angels are referred to in Scripture as sons of God at times. They're referred to, of course, as servants. But not, God never singled out one of those angels and said, you are my son. Uh, today I have begotten you. That's never happened and it never will. Uh, again, these words here in Psalm 2, a messianic psalm we looked at recently on our, in our Wednesday night gathering. Uh, these are spoken by the Father to the Son. The name son here, please don't misunderstand this. The name son uh, is not the same as we think of in regard to sons and daughters uh, and one who is born from that individual. It is not so much a, a matter of birth here as it is a place of position, an exalted place, if you will. It is a title. And, and uh, there's some disagreement as to this, but most uh, believe, and I would agree, that the name Son is a, is a title that Jesus has always held and will always hold. And again, please do not think of it as a place of, of inferiority, that, that in any way that Jesus as Son of God is in any way inferior to God the Father. In fact, he is equal to him in every way. Again, many passages, Psalm 2, I mean, rather Philippians 2, for example, affirm his equality with God in every way. This passage we have seen here in Hebrews, and last week as we studied just those first three verses, he clearly describes again uh, the, his equality with God the Father. He is called in John 3.16, that very famous verse, the only begotten Son. And again, he is speaking here of being his uh, one-of-a-kind Son. It speaks of his uniqueness as a Son. It did not mean at all that he did not previously exist. In fact, this, this passage and all through Hebrews makes it clear as God he, because he is God and always has been, he has always existed. He had, as we're going to see, no beginning uh, and, and will have no end. So he's speaking here of his incarnation when he, God, became fully man. Something did change at that point. Not in, not in his nature as God, but now he's also fully human at that point. And Romans uh, 1.4 also indicates that Christ uh, was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. So again, that happened as well at his resurrection. We go on to see in the second part of verse 5, another quote, this one from 2 Samuel seven fourteen. He said, or, or again, I will be to him a father and he will be to me a son. Again, uh, these words were spoken by Nathan, to the, uh, by the Nathan, prophet Nathan to David. And, uh, and again, uh, known to be a messianic passage, uh, again, because again, none of David's sons qualified for what was spoken here. Uh, Solomon certainly did not, and none of David's sons did. These were words that were spoken concerning the Messiah, concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. The angel Gabriel uh, told Mary in Luke 1.32, he will be great concerning Jesus. He will be great and would be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. So that passage was fulfilled in the incarnation, in Jesus coming to this earth. He was the son of the most high. High. He did exactly what he said he would do. He fulfilled this 
passage. So again, Jesus is shown to be superior to the angels in his excellent name, in his excellent, his exalted, if you will, identity as the son of God. Uh, he is exalted in his name. You know, Jesus received this, uh, he was exalted in this, uh, in this way, in, in, in his coming to this earth, as we said, in his incarnation. He humbled himself, fully God, but he humbled himself uh, in that time of incarnation, becoming a tiny embryo in, in Mary's womb and, and coming into this earth uh, that he had created, but, but coming and, and humbling himself in every way, but fully, especially Philippians 2 said he humbled himself on the cross when he, fully God, on that cross became sin for us, took on sin uh, on behalf of sinners that we might be forgiven. He humbled himself. You know, God's way up is down. And Jesus certainly demonstrated that. He demonstrated that for us as well, that we are to humble ourselves uh, under his mighty hand. And I would say, as we're thinking and celebrating Father's Day, I want to challenge fathers and husbands today. Uh, again, this is God's plan for you too as well, to humble yourself so that God may exalt you and may use you as well. Secondly, we see that Jesus is superior to the angels in his worthiness of worship. Notice, if you will, in verses six and seven, again, he quotes some Old Testament passages. Notice there in verse six, and again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, uh, he says, the word firstborn, I remind you, Hunter read there from Colossians this morning, this, this word here doesn't mean uh, uh, one among more than one. It speaks not of his firstness in, in time, but, but his, first, his being first and firstborn in preeminence, in his exalted position once again. It's used, as we said, as, as it is in Colossians 1.15, when it says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And then he quotes from Psalm 97, Seven, actually quoting from the Septuagint, uh, and from the Greek translation of the, of the Old Testament. And, uh, and scholars are not in full agreement on this as to when this is being spoken here. Some believe it was at his uh, birth, his incarnation, and the, the worship here, um, when, he, when he calls on the angels to worship uh, Jesus. Uh, some believe it's really not until the second coming, depending on where the again is placed there. I, I tend to lean again toward the, toward the incarnation when, uh, when the Lord Jesus came, when the angels declared him and saying uh, in praise, glory to God in the, uh, in the highest. But in reality, angels have always worshiped the Lord Jesus. Angels worship the Lord Jesus now. Angels uh, will be worshiping the Lord Jesus with the angels uh, for all eternity. And we read that passage last Sunday, but just once again, think about this passage and about the worship that the angels participate in. In Revelation 5, 11, it says, then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. 
This is the, an example of the worship of angels, of how much the angels exalt the Lord Jesus Christ and, and how we too are to follow their lead and their example in making much of Jesus, of exalting him. And the Father, by commanding the angels to worship Jesus, what is he saying here? Of course, he is declaring and affirming the deity, the fact that Jesus is God. He's affirming that. And you know, you, you still encounter people and you will encounter people who deny the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Cults uh, today that you will encounter, that will come to your door perhaps, will, will deny the deity of Jesus. They will simply again lower Jesus by saying he is just a God and not the God. But here in this passage, the Father exalts him as God because once again, worship is for God alone. Worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve, Scripture says. He alone is worthy of worship. So, so the Father is affirming the deity, the superiority, the supremacy, the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ by calling for his worship. You see, if Jesus were not God, what, what the Father would be calling on his angels to do and on us to do would be idolatry. It would be blasphemy, rightly so. But he is God, amen? He is worthy of our worship because he is Lord and he is God. And then he moves it. We see there in verse seven, he says, of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. Again, in contrast to the Lord Jesus, who's worthy of worship, he, he makes his angels uh, these uh, winds and, and, and flames, um, flames of fire. Psalm 104, four, he is quoting here. And again, this is the ministry of angels. Kent Hughes says, angels sometimes spectacularly inhabit wind and fire to do God's bidding. Angels are his servants and, and they are, they are to be used by God to glorify him and to serve him. They are not worthy of worship. They exist to worship and serve God. So I ask you today, as you think about how great the Lord Jesus is, do you worship him as God? Do you worship him as the angels worship him? Do you stand, and as, as the song we sometimes sing, do you stand in awe of him? Do you stand in awe of the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you ever fallen on your face in worship of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you just amazed at his greatness, at his holiness, at his, at his worthiness of worship? Jesus is worthy of worship. Thirdly, Jesus is superior to the angels in his righteous rule. He's superior to the angels in his righteous rule. Verses 8 and 9, once again, verse 8 is quoted from Psalm 45, 6 and 7. And, and again, it, it, apparently this psalm is the celebration of a royal wedding, perhaps one, perhaps one of Solomon's weddings. But its main purpose is to exalt Jesus as God, as eternal reigning king. Look again at verse eight, he says to us, but, but of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved 
righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. So again here, he is just demonstrating that Jesus is eternal reigning king and that his rule as king is a righteous rule. Jesus said in John 10 30, I and the father are one. His reign is eternal, but it's also characterized by perfect righteousness. You see, Jesus, the word of God is clear, is righteous in all his ways. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that Jesus' ways are righteous? That he's righteous in all his ways as he rules this universe, as he rules your life? The Bible says he, he, he's loved righteousness and hated wickedness. He loved righteousness so much and hated wickedness so much that the Bible says that on the cross, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that he was willing to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He loves righteousness that much. He hates wickedness that much. Again, just as his father does, as we said about him, as we saw and looked in those first five books of the Old Testament, those two things that stood out to us were the holiness of God and the seriousness of sin. That's who Jesus is. That is Jesus. That is true of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9 says, he's anointed him, the Father has anointed Jesus with the oil of gladness. The oil of gladness. No one has greater joy than Jesus. But Jesus' joy here, I believe, is a description of the completion of the work of redemption. We'll see that again when we get over to Hebrews 12 too. This is looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. How could Jesus, how could he look at the cross and, and, and call it a joy that is set before him? Certainly the suffering of the cross was not joy. Certainly, uh, again, the holy, righteous Jesus who knew no sin, having to become sin, having to bear the wrath of a holy God poured out on sin upon him, that was no joy. But again, the joy he had, of course, Ken Hughes says, was over the reunion with the Father or over being crowned with honor and glory and having all things put under his feet. And the joy, Scripture says, of bringing many sons to glory. The Lord Jesus endured that. He endured that and saw that ultimately as the joy that was, was set before him. He has joy over us. Angels are servants. But one angel, Lucifer, whom we now know to be the devil or Satan, he wanted to rule as God did. He wanted to be as God. He wanted to be the ruler. He wanted to have no, have, having God the Father have no, or God the Son or the Holy Spirit have no authority over him. He rebelled against God. He led a rebellion in heaven of other angels who are now the demons or fallen angels, was cast out of heaven. And then he came one day, sometime later, to, to Adam and Eve 
where he tempted them ultimately with the same thing that he had desired, and that was to be his own boss, to be his own king. And as Jesus described some even in his day who said, we will not have this man rule over us. We will not have this God rule over us. They took the bait. They fell for the temptation. And they led the entire human race into sin. And dear friend, that is exactly the same sin today that everyone faces. And that is, who will be my king? Who will rule over me? You, you see, again, the, the desire of people who say, no, I don't want God, or even some who may choose a religion or tip their hat toward God, but still try to retain their own lordship over their own life, deceived and not realizing that Satan ultimately is their king and their lord, thinking they're their own boss. That's ultimately the temptation everyone faces today. Who will rule over your life? Who will be your king? Will you surrender to Jesus? So I ask you today, have you acknowledged Jesus as your Lord? Who is your king today? Who is your Lord? You see, the Lord Jesus came and, and he, of course, became a servant for us. He took our sin upon himself on that cross. He died for sinners. He died to redeem us. He died to free us from slavery to sin in order that he might be our Lord, that he might be our King. And dear friend, I want to say to you, you can't have it both ways. You can't come to God your way. You can't have Jesus sitting on the sideline. You can't have Jesus uh, just to accommodate your life and to sort of be your ticket to heaven. You must have Jesus as Lord. You must repent of your sin, turn from your sin, place your faith in Christ, his finished work on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, his lordship as king. Surrender to him as Lord. And I plead with you today, if that has never happened, that you acknowledge as you see Jesus as the high and exalted one who gave his life for us on Calvary's cross that we might be redeemed and forgiven and have eternal life. Trust him today. Turn from your sin and surrender to him as your Lord. But number four, Jesus is seen to be superior, infinitely greater to angels in his eternal deity. His eternal deity. We see this in verses 10 through 12. And these verses are quoted from Psalm 102, 25 through 27. And in these words, in this passage, they are applied to God in the Old Testament. And of course, we know Jesus is God, so they apply to him. And again, this too, as the other passages affirm his being God, his deity. Notice it says here in these words that he laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning. That too fits in with uh, fully with what scripture teaches, what we saw there in the early part of this passage that, that he did create this universe. He spoke it into existence. He was God's agent of creation. He created all. And then again, as a result uh, of, of man's sin, the Bible says in this passage that, that the, the, this, this, this creation of his, that is the work of his hands, they will perish, but you remain. He says in verse 11, they will wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed. But again, he says, but you are the same and your years will have no end. So he says this, this world, the Bible says, as we saw again last Sunday, this world and, and, uh, and, and this, the, the creation 
has been subjected to the fall of, of humanity, the fall of man and sin. It's, it too was a, infected by man's fall. And the Bible says it's ultimately in a state of decay today. Why, why all the uh, volcanoes? Why the earthquakes? Why all of the uh, tor- tornadoes and hurricanes and all those things? Again, the, the, the whole earth is under the curse of sin, affected by man's rebellion against God. And so the whole creation, the Bible says, is groaning until that day of redemption when Christ will make it new and eternal again. So that speaks of this earth. In contrast to the Lord Jesus, who the Bible says here is the same. Hebrews 13, 8, we'll read, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This describes what Uh, The theologians call his immutability, the fact that he doesn't change. Now, again, we sing that song that you do not change, but you change everything. He changes us, amen? And he's he's continuously changing us as his children into the likeness of Christ. And he also says uh, that he's consistent, therefore, with his nature as God. And he also says your years will have no end. We serve an eternal God, amen? Eternal, he had no beginning. Eternal in the future, he'll, he has no end. And, and, and again, he's forever. How, how is that possible? Because he is life. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the life. And therefore, he has no end. He had no beginning. One of the names that Isaiah was instructed was a prophesied concerning the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, is that his name would be called Everlasting Father. Literally, Father of Eternity. He is the author of eternity. And the only way we can have eternal life is to have Jesus. The only way we can know eternal life is to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Scripture says, again, the angels can't give life. Uh, They can't do that. Only Jesus can. The Bible says in 1 John 5, 11, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Dear friend, the Bible says about you this morning, if you have never repented of your sin and placed your faith and trust in Christ, that you, this day, are dead in your trespasses and sin. And the Bible says if you remain in the state you are in, in spiritual deadness, separation from God, that you will for all eternity spend dead apart from God, in a terrible place called hell. That's the bad news. But the good news is that through Jesus, through Jesus, through repentance and faith and trust in Christ, your sin can be forgiven and you can spend eternity with him. Number five and finally, Jesus is superior to the angels in his divine authority. He is superior to the angels in his divine divine authority. Look, verse 13 again. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool 
for your feet? Again, the answer to that question is none. None of them. Only to Jesus has he said that. And again, this is, this is quoted from Psalm 1101. Uh, and, and again, this is one of the, uh, an affirmation of the glorious truth back in chapter 1, verse 3. We said that his being seated here is an indication of his completed work as high priest. When he offered up himself both as high priest, but also, also as Passover lamb, offering himself up as a sacrifice once and for all. He's seated as an indication of the completed work of the cross and of, of his resurrection. He's offered himself up on our behalf. Seated at the Father's right hand, also indicating his full authority as God and, and full power as God. And then the father tells him how long he is to remain. He says, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. This again, indicating his full authority over his enemies. Uh, again, in this day and time, and we see it in the book of Joshua specifically, where a, 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 a conqueror, a conquering general uh, would uh, demonstrate his victory over uh, his, the, the enemy by putting his feet on the neck of his enemy, indicating again that that person had become his footstool. He had authority over them that he had defeated his enemy. And the Lord Jesus has defeated our enemy. Amen. He's defeated our enemies of death, hell, and the grave. And the Bible says that that will come to full fruition. The Bible says ultimately, as you read Revelation chapter 20 and verse 10, that he's going to cast, uh, again, uh, death and Hades into the lake of fire. He's going to cast Satan. He's going to cast the demons. He's going to cast them into the lake of fire where they will be tormented day and night for all eternity. And then in the same book of the Bible, Revelation uh, chapter 20 also describes that those whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life will be cast into that same lake of fire. And again, dear friend, I tell you that today because it's true in the word of God. And, and you're uh, today, the Bible says you are at enmity with God when you reject him and rebel against him and do not receive the gift of God, eternal life by repenting and placing your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. One day, the Bible says all of God's enemies, all of Jesus' enemies are going to bow before him as we said there in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, therefore God has exalted, highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In verse 14, once again he mentions the angels and their work. Are, are, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. Praise God for his angels. His angels who we could call them God's secret service angel, agents to help get us home safely. Amen. Ligon Duncan, pastor in Jackson, Mississippi, says as glorious and as exalted as they are, no angel was ever humiliated for you. No angel ever hung on the tree bearing the full weight of your sins, but the son of God, superior to angels, Lord of the empire of God, creator of this world who sits at the right hand, he shed his blood on our behalf. 
Have you turned from sin and trusted in Christ and in Christ alone? And on this Father's Day, though this message has not been directed just to fathers, I want to challenge fathers. I want to challenge all of you because it applies to all of us. But dads, I want to say to you, do you want to have an eternal impact on your family? And I know I'm speaking to fathers and I'm also speaking to grandfathers in this crowd today. Do you want to have an eternal impact on your family? The greatest way at all that you can do that, again, is to acknowledge the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let your family know as you surrender to Jesus as Lord of your life that you believe that Jesus is the treasure worth losing everything for. That you acknowledge the sufficiency of Jesus in your life and in your home and in every area and every relationship in your life. I want to ask you this morning, dads, is Jesus your treasure? Is that obvious in your home? Is it obvious by the way you invest your money? Is it obvious by the way you invest your time? Is it obvious through the television viewing or the movie viewing that you have? Is it obvious by the way you handle the computer? Is it obvious by the way, men, you treat your wives that you treasure Christ? above everything. But you treat your wife because the Bible says you are to love your wife as Christ loved the church. So you're treasuring Christ as you treasure your wife, as you treat her as precious as the way God tells you to do that. Is it obvious? Is it obvious the way you relate to your children that more than anything, you want your children to know Jesus? You want to know that Jesus, once again, is the treasure worth losing everything for, that he is the one that is the supreme authority in this universe. Is it obvious to your children and to your wife? Is it obvious to your neighbors, to your coworkers, that Jesus is the one you treasure? Is it obvious? Is it obvious? Do they look at you as and say, we want what they have. We see that they're different than we are. We see the way they relate to each other. We see the way this dad, this husband treats his family, that Jesus is everything to him. Is that true in your home? If not, dear friend, I, I want to call you men. Be men of God. Be men of God. Today, Surrender to Jesus as Lord of your life and Lord of your home and acknowledge him to the place, the rightful place of Lord in your home and of your life. Because you see, dear friend, Jesus, Jesus paid for you if you're his child. He, pray, he paid for you with his own life. He shed his blood for you to purchase you. And he has the right, the absolute right to be your Lord because if you are his, then he, you are his temple. He indwells your life and your heart and he owns your life. And there's no greater master to serve, amen? He is worthy. He is worthy. I challenge you today. And I want to challenge every family member because the Bible says the way that we relate to each other as family members the way, we, the way we regard one another is all fully connected to our relationship with Christ. I remind you that, that Hebrews was written to challenge people who were suffering. He didn't try to give them, as we said last week, he didn't give them 10 easy ways to overcome suffering in your life or, or 10 ways to cope. He didn't do that. He gave them the word of God that said, honor Jesus, exalt Jesus, treasure Jesus, 
see Jesus as greater. And so what is true about us in suffering is true for us in our family life. It's true for us as husbands and fathers. It's true for wives and mothers. It's true for grandparents. It's true for children, the way you relate to your parents. Do your friends acknowledge by the way you speak to your parents, the way you speak of your parents, the way you honor them, the way you obey them, even when they're wrong at times, and they will be. They'll mess up. We do. But is it obvious that there's something different about your life and that you treasure Jesus more than anything above everything. If not, dear friend, I call you to do that today. This is Pastor David Lawrence. Thank you for listening to this message. We pray that God used his word in your life today. If you do not have a relationship with God, the Bible says you can as you turn from your sin, place your faith in Christ Jesus, his death for you on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, and surrender your life to Jesus as Lord. We'd like to invite you to join us for worship. You can find information about the times and locations for all of our gatherings on our website at lucybaptist.com. If you have any questions or if we can minister to you in any way, please call us at 901-872-0623 or email us at info at lucybaptist.com.